Hope is not just something that is a, a catch word or a vocabulary word of Christianity, but that hope is deeply rooted as a foundational aspect of Christian faith, meaning that if we don't have some kind of grasp or understanding of what hope is from the, from the biblical sense, right? we'd be missing something. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, of course, he goes on to say, but um, that's pretty good company, right? Faith, hope, and love. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about hope, and we, we said that our working de- definition of hope um, is not, hope is not wishful thinking, right? Like, oh, I hope the Bills win today, although we know it's basically a guarantee because they're playing the Steelers, right? I hope the Bills win today, right? Um, you know, that's wishful thinking. That's like, a, oh man, I really hope, I really wish, right? and that's not biblical hope. Right? Uh, biblical hope has, um, is, is much deeper than that, right? It's not, a, it's not just a blind optimism also in the face of reality uh, that, that has no grounding in anything significant, right? Our hope has something um, is, is not wishful thinking and has its grounding in something significant. It has its grounding in the character and history of God. When I say history, I mean the way in which God has shown himself throughout time to be faithful, to keep his promises, to not lie, essentially, like we talked about from Hebrews chapter 6, right? So the, our, our definition of hope is this. We have it up here for, for you. This is from last week, of course. Hope is the, the confidence that what God says is as good as finished, even if we are waiting to see it fulfilled. Meaning that, that what God says is, is finished, is done, is accomplished, even if we are in this in-between period of the promise and the fulfillment. So I stand in, in hope, right? Which is not a wishful thinking. I stand in hope. I stand in the supreme confidence that what God said, God means. And that whether or not I can see the fulfillment of the promise now, my hope remains in the God who says he will do it. That is hope. That is biblical hope. Okay? So that's what I want to be able to take root in our souls um, this season, really every season, right? We, this is not just a Christmas theme thing. Um, this is a God thing, right? This is the follower of Jesus thing. This is a, a authority of Scripture thing. This is a having an understanding of who really is. You know, the, the Christmas story, the, the nativity that we read like in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 1 and um, the, the story that we, that we hear every Christmas season, it is one that um, it inspires, I don't know about you, but it inspires like a sense of nostalgia. Um, I can... I can recite, this is not a, this, okay, humble brag. Um, <laughs> humble brag. 
Um, I can recite all of Luke chapter 2 because my grandma made me learn it when I was growing up so that me and my cousins could act out a nativity on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. So cute. Um, so, like, on my way to Grandma's house, every Christmas, I would have to go over it, and, like, it was a four-hour drive up to Watertown, and I had to make sure that I remembered it, because if I didn't, Grandma would, like, you know, I wouldn't get my Christmas cookies or my caramels or whatever. All in good fun, of course, but I, I remember, like, and so every time I hear, um, in those days, Caesar Augustus uh, decreed that a census would be taken of all the world, right? And every man would go up into his hometown, right? And so these words, these memories, they, they, they bring up more than, like, it's a, there's a nostalgic feeling there, okay? What are, what I'm wondering is, what are some of your, like, most favorite warm, fuzzy parts of the Christmas story? Like, what, what are the best parts for you? This is not a trick question. Do I need to read it? Ellen? Huge chorus of angels, right? You can imagine what that sounded like and what it felt like to be on the receiving end of a Huge choir of angels. What else? The importance of the shepherds. Yeah, that's awesome, right? Shepherds, you know, we think, oh yeah, shepherds, oh, so important. Yeah, no one really thought much of shepherds back in the ancient Near East. They were pretty much the, like, they're pretty low on the totem pole of people that you would think are important. You know? Work the field, keep the sheep, Stay out of our way, like dirty, uneducated. Um, but incredible, isn't it, that, that God, God saw it fit <laughs> to declare the coming of a Savior to those that the world saw as lowly. Um, it, it's, a, it's an interesting narrative there. Oh, what else? Well, the three wise men, we assume that they were kings or royalty, right? Um, coming and giving gifts. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of, like, there's all, yeah, Danielle. I have one. Yeah. Declared that, like, they saw God working, in, like, even in that time. Yeah. Awesome. All, like, awesome examples of, like, oh, yeah, wow, the Christmas story is so. Like, oh, heartwarming, hallmark. Um, you know, let's, let's set out the nativity scene and let's, let's just stare at all. I agree. I agree. Like, heartwarming, amazing. Um, but, <laughs> what about, like, what about how much of a dumpster fire the whole thing actually was? I mean, I mean, honestly, right? 
when you separate yourself from the nostalgia that we have about the story and just look at the raw facts of what was going on, you come to realize that if the nativity, like the whole nativity story was a year, it'd be 2020. Like, for sure. Like, it is not glamorous. For instance, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. Um... And Luke chapter two, because that's where our the, that's what the story part of the story we're going to be looking at is, right? We're going to read the just let's read the, just the raw data. Let's let's just collect the facts about the Christmas story, and then decide how nostalgic it is. Luke chapter one, verse twenty-six. In the sixth month. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Okay, so fact number one of the Christmas story, right? A teenage mother, unwed, who lived in a culture that was based on um, limiting or avoiding shame and increasing and magnifying honor in your family. Right, so here you have this teenage girl, unwed, pledged to be married, but not yet married, who is all of a sudden pregnant, right, in a culture where um, that type of thing would be, um, would be extraordinarily taboo and scandalous and would bring not just embarrassment, but cultural shame upon the family. Um, this was not just like an unfortunate circumstance. This was an um, extremely difficult like, thing to happen in a family. Um, we go on and we said, uh, you shall give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. Um, yeah, verse 35 or verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay. Um, as, a, as a man who um, believes by faith in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit living in me, some 2,000 some years later, reading this and being like, well, yeah, of course, Right? The Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit of God, conceives this child in, in, in Mary, and what a miracle, and how, how incredible. And you just see the way the story of God works together, um, and how this happened. And, and, and yeah, I mean, take, take, yourself, take yourself seriously for a second, and that, like, out of context and reading the story, we can 
we can imagine the miraculous power of God in the conception story because we've, we've come by faith to believe and see the, the miracle-working power of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, think, think with your non-faith-believing, Jesus-filled, Holy Spirit power brain and think about what a, what a mess that would have sounded like Mary walking into the kitchen to mom and dad and being like, yo, I'm pregnant, by the way, still a virgin, I swear it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, let's just be honest, okay? This is not some miracle that, like, I've got daughters, right? Someone would have been dying that day. Okay. But, but seriously, though, so now you have a teen, unwed mother in a shame and honor culture with an absolutely preposterous conception story. No one's believing that. Okay? No one is believing that. Um, third, and this is just a kind of almost, a, almost an aside, you turn over to Luke chapter 2, um, in the beginning of the birth of Jesus, and we get back to um, verse 4, uh, after Caesar issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world, Joseph, the betrothed husband to Mary, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because that's where he... So he was from Bethlehem, so he grabbed Mary to go back to his hometown to register for the census. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting a child. We assume she was in her, like, the final stages of pregnancy, right? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Um, A.K.A., they were traveling nine months pregnant and were now homeless in Bethlehem. Forced to live, not with family, not at the inn, um, not in some, you know, like, some posh place where a king should be born, but um, in labor, delivering a baby, no place to stay, going to stay in the manger. Or going to stay in the... Um, in the, in the barn with the animals lay the baby in the manger. I know, again, manger, pretty nostalgic, right? A.K.A. the feeding trough. Okay. So, so it's, we're used to creating a warm, fuzzy, nostalgic, Kid at Christmas, nativity scene, Hallmark movie type of picture of the Christmas story. And while I don't reject any of that, I will say there is a there it should give us it should give us significant pause to consider the facts that this in its time was a complete dumpster fire. It was a mess. There was, there, was, there was nothing nostalgic about it. There was likely nothing celebratory about that, t- 
time period of like announcing the pregnancy and oh baby showers right and cute cookies and um, like no it was it was just all bad you'd be hard-pressed to find an aspect of the story that was good it was seemingly all a mess but but then in what seemed like this moment where I mean like you see um, like you see it on TV or watch it on YouTube or whatever like you see these moments where a prank is being pulled right and then like they 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 turn around they put their arm around you and they, they point out where the camera is and everyone's laughing oh ha 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 yeah I thought it was really bad but it turns out it was really good it's almost seemingly like like everyone here in the Christmas story is on candid camera because when the angels show up to the shepherds, they, they say something about the whole story that alludes to the fact that even in the midst of the mess, it's really not a mess. It's kind of like, ha ha, got you. See the camera's right over there. Just want to see how you're going to react. In Luke chapter 2, I guess starting at verse 8, but there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you, like this here, this is, this is like the, the smile, you're on a candid camera moment, right? I bring you. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Like, he turns the reality of the story, which is a mess, right? He turns everything upside down on its head and says, I bring you Good news. Great joy. And it's for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now we're going to circle back around to that declaration of Christ the Lord here in just a few minutes. But I want to continue in the story here because I think it's important for us to understand some things, all right? He goes on, the angel goes on to tell the shepherds where exactly and how exactly they would find the Savior. What would be like the distinguishing marks that would allow them to say, oh yeah, okay, that's him right there. That's the Savior, Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, Luke chapter 2, verse 12. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Oh. Swaddling cloths in a manger, right? Um, rags. 
in a feeding trough. Okay? Not cute and cuddly. Not like smelling nice like a baby always smells, like Johnson tear-free shampoo, right? You know, like, no. Dirty cloths lying in the feed trough of the barn that they were staying in, right? Nostalgic or a mess? A mess. A mess. Okay? Like Mary, did you not have a diaper bag packed or something? Like, come on. So, so the angel says, the angel says um, that the, um, or he, he, gives, he gives the shepherds the information about where they would find, how they would find the incarnation of the good news that would be of great joy for all people, a Savior. Where would the promise be proven true? Where would the hope of God's promise for deliverance be proven true? Under the bright lights of a sparkling palace like every king deserves? No. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, at the end of a story that is a dumpster fire. Where would the good news be proven true? Where would the great joy that will be for all people come on scene? This is a reality that we aren't all very eager or quick to grab onto, but it's this, is that you will find the Savior in the mess of your life. In the absolute mess. When every turn seemed like it was the wrong one. When every circumstance seemed like it was the least of the great options. Where, where every single possibility of things that could have gone wrong seemingly has gone wrong. Guess what? The angels declare it is there that the Savior will be found. What does this say for us? What, do, what does this say for you and I? What, what truth of God does this speak into our hearts and into our lives? This, this I believe, is that God is always found. God never abandons God is always found in the both unexpected and expected messes of our lives. Not because God himself is messy, but because he's not afraid of our mess. He's not afraid of all of the wrong turns. He's not afraid of the, um, of, of the 
bad decisions. He's not afraid of the unfortunate circumstance. He's not afraid of the mess. In fact, if the Christmas story shows us anything, it shows us that God enters into our mess and calls us to find him in the midst of all that is broken. In the midst of all that has gone wrong. You will find him in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You will find him right in the center of all that has gone wrong in your story. You will find him in the midst of everything that you would have um, chosen to avoid if you could have. And where I come to, like now, at this, like, at the end of 2020, I think I've told you this story, I, I think I've told you this time and time again, honestly, is that I'm a, I'm a big New Year's Eve or like New Year's guy. I love it. I, I love the end of a year and the beginning of the new year. I know it's just another day and I know it's like, um, you know, you, you, people are always down on New Year's resolutions. I, I, I think it's awesome. I just think it's awesome to have like this tangible expression, even if it's a made-up one, a tangible expression of like, hey, God's mercies are new every morning. You get a new start. You, you, get, to, you get to try again, and then you get to try again, and then you get to try again, right? And, and so, like looking forward to the new year always, always brings me to a point of looking back on the year before, like 2020, That's one for the books, right? That's one, that's one to, not, to, not soon, to not soon forget, that we won't soon forget. But my question, like, that I, that I felt like God asking me as I'm preparing for this week in the midst of, like, oh, geez, yeah, God is right in the midst of, the, like, the dumpster fire of life and the story that I thought was nostalgic, but really it was all bad, and he was... That's where God was to be found by the people and declared as Savior. I, like, I felt the Lord saying this to me. is like, where have I missed seeing God this year because I was convinced that He couldn't be found in this mess? Like, where did I... I just walked right past Him. Right? I looked for the palace that the king was obviously in, right? And I passed by the barn and the manger and the baby in swaddling clothes to the unwed teen mother who had an unbelievable conception story and was homeless. Where have I missed God? Where, where has God desired to be found by me? Where was, where were the heavenly hosts screaming for the top of the, from the top of their lungs? You're going to find him in the mess. You'll find him in the mess. He's there. Because we have this somehow twisted belief that God is, stays away from the mess, right? That God is found in the order. That God is found in the, in the health and the faith and the 
all put together and all of the right decisions and all of the right circumstances and where everything is like as it should be. And so we, we, we try to order circumstances of our lives so that they are perfect because we believe that that's where God dwells, is over here in the perfection of life. And what God is saying over here is like, you're, 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 you're missing me. I'm over here. I'm over here, not in the manufactured perfection. I'm over here in the mess of reality. In, in actual life. I'm, I'm, I'm over here, and, and not, not, I'm not just over here, but I am the Savior. I am the Savior. Remember, when we talk about hope, we're talking about a, a confidence that comes a confidence that comes from knowing that when God says something, God means it. And when God promises, God fulfills. See, this is our hope and this is our confidence from the story this morning is that God is in the messes of life. That, that God is in your mess. He has not abandoned you. He is not waiting for you to get your act together before He comes back around. He is not waiting for you to figure it out before He reveals Himself to you. He is saying, I have been here the entire time. You just missed me because you were looking for perfection. I just wanted to be with you in your mess. God is with you in your mess. He's with me in mine. He's with us in our mess. The Scripture that I preached out of last Christmas season was Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, all of Isaiah's ministry, really, Isaiah was a prophet that looked forward and, and proclaimed to the nation of Israel in the midst of their, um, in the, in the midst of their um, being separated from the promised land and being expelled from the land by the Assyrians and the Babylonians that Isaiah proclaimed to the Israelite nation time and time and time and time again, God is going to bring deliverance. God is going to bring deliverance. God is going to bring deliverance. God is going to bring us a Savior. God is going to bring us a Savior, right? And in this one particular time, he says it very, 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 very clear, right? In Isaiah chapter 9, God, um, God says through the prophet, he says these things. Isaiah chapter 9. We'll just start in verse 2. Or I guess we'll start in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, He humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, but in the future, He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Right? So Isaiah says, hey look, God has shown Himself to be faithful in the past. 
in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, like just like God did in the past, he will do in the future in the land of the Gentiles in Galilee along the Jordan. And then he says this, verse 2. The people who are walking in darkness, sounds a lot like us, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Sounds a lot like the coming of the Savior. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their, their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood, now it's destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Yes. Amen. You know what? You know what? Like, this is a perfect example here. Like, listen, when was this promise given by the prophet Isaiah made to the people? About 700 years before Luke chapter 2, when Jesus actually comes. Right? So the promise was made, right? And when God promises something, it's as good as done, even if there's a period of time, sometimes it seems like a long period of time, between the promise and the fulfillment. But Luke chapter 2 is God showing up on the scene and saying, listen, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of all that is going wrong, I am here. The promise is that a great light will illuminate those walking in darkness. It's, an interesting, it's interesting for us to note here that Jesus as the light <laughs> does not come into the light. Where does the light appear? The light appears not where everything is already bright, right? The light appears where there's abundance of darkness. It is into darkness that light Comes. The promise is always that the light of God will come through to
to pierce the darkness of life. And what's wonderful about this is that is that when a room when a room or a place is dark and a light is brought into it darkness has no choice but to flee you know like when you when you you flip on a light switch in a dark room, there's no like oh, epic struggle of like darkness hanging on in the room, right? No, when the light is present, the darkness is gone. And in the presence of light, there can be no darkness. God, God's promise to us is that Jesus Christ is a light to those walking in darkness. That in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of everything about the last 40 weeks, everything about the last three days, everything about the last 40 years, everything that is a mess about your life, everything that you think is just full of darkness and irredeemable and not worth anything and that God has, God has ran away from you and abandoned you and doesn't want anything to do with you until you get your act together. That, that the promise of God is that not only am I not waiting for you to just get your act together, I am going to enter your mess. I am going to enter your darkness and through Jesus Christ, everything will be made new. And so, looking back on the last year, asking the question, where, where have I missed God? Where have I missed God in the mess of the last you know, 12 months or so? gives me reason to say, okay, um, now as I look forward, or even as I look right now at my like current today, this morning, Sunday morning circumstance, is um, what mess will I look for God in? What, 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 what mess are you in? What, what darkness is overwhelming? What, what set of circumstances seem to be stacked up upon you over and over and over again, higher and higher and higher? And you think, well, look at all of this. There is no way that God can be in that. And the Scripture is clear to tell us that it is exactly there that God will be found. It is exactly in those moments, in that darkness, in that mess, that the light of Jesus Christ will cast away the darkness, will bring order to the mess. 
That is a hope that we have this Christmas season. Not a wishful thinking type of hope, but that is a confidence that we have. That if I search for God in the mess, rather than waiting for the mess to be cleared, when I search for God in the mess, you will find Him. And when God is found, God will bring light. Let's, uh, let's pray as we welcome the worship team back up. Heavenly Father, we worship You. We adore You, Lord. Lord, Your Son, Jesus, born in what can easily be described as a messy situation under messy circumstances. Lord, that You have, in the midst of that story, shown us, Father, that it is in the middle of our messes that You can still be found. That You enter the middle of it all. You are not You are not worried. You are not scared. You are not waiting for us to get our act together. You are, in fact, right in the middle of it all. And Lord, may we declare, may we speak by faith over our own circumstances, the words that the angel spoke over the shepherds, that the coming of Jesus in the middle of the mess will be good news that will bring great joy for all people. For a Savior has been born to us. Lord, may the light of Jesus illuminate the darkness of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.